reading from the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes, chapter 10, verses 1 through 20. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of a ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil I have seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stone is hurt by them. And he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt one does not sharp, and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it's charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be and who can tell him what will be after him. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your prince feasts in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Carter. My name is Mark Lindsay. Uh, I don't know all of you. I see new faces here, and I'd love to get to meet you. I'll be up here uh, after the service. So I'm one of the non-staff elders. I'm a volunteer, like most of the elders are here. Um, And my um, professional work since the 1990s has been in software development and network engineering. Uh, So uh, sometimes people ask, well, what exactly does that mean? And Uh, So I say, you know, when you pick up the phone and make a call, I help uh, to get it through. So if you call 911, I want it to get to the right place. But if a scammer or a robocaller calls you, I want to stop it from getting to the right place. So that's that's what we spend our time doing. Um, And um, today we're in Ecclesiastes 10, and I am so thankful for this opportunity to uh, go through this text with you and open God's Word. Um, and in March 2000, just after I finished college, I went on a work trip to Arizona. I had done a startup with a friend of mine, Chris, and we took some extra time and went to the Grand Canyon. First time either of us had been there. We grew up in South Georgia, um, both of us. And uh, we took this photo. My friend Chris took this photo. This is me standing uh, right there on the edge. You can see that snow on the ground. It's a little tree. It's a beautiful background. 
Um, like I said, I grew up in South Georgia. I didn't know a lot about snow. So right after this photo was taken, I kind of took a step back a little bit, and the snow shifted and sort of caved underneath me. And I started down the cliff just a little bit. Um, and I, I grabbed the little tree you see. That's a life-saving tree, as it turns out. So when my friend Chris tells this story, uh, he said the first thing that came to his mind, standing there on the, you know, looking down at me, about to fall into the Grand Canyon, was how am I going to explain this to Mark's mom? Uh, so you can see in that situation, I was foolish. Uh, I might have been in awe of the beauty of the Grand Canyon, uh, but I wasn't properly respecting the danger. So with that, I've proven that I desperately need God's help for wisdom, and so I'm going to pray before going further in God's Word. Uh, Lord, please be with us. Please open your Word to us. Uh, help us to understand. Thank you for all the many people who have helped me in preparation uh, for this. Please use all of their work to serve your people here at North Wake. Um, Lord, help us as we open your word today and make my words only yours. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. So fast forward 20 years, and I've got a little video here. This was in May 2021. Uh, this is my family, one of my kids, and I'm a dad. Um, and we got to go on a trip to the Grand Canyon. And as you can see, it's just as beautiful. Um, uh, but I'm far more aware of the danger because I'm there with my children. Uh, at, at, and um, when you go, you have to respect the Grand Canyon. You, you actually kind of plan your days around not falling in. You plan your days around not being dehydrated. And you can really thrive on a visit to the Grand Canyon. Most people don't get hurt, but you do that by respecting the danger and beholding the beauty all at the same time. You know, God made us to thrive in this world first by respecting Him and seeing His beauty. You know, truly respecting and recognizing God's power is fearing Him. And this is a proper fear of God that is so important, and it is a gateway to wisdom. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So this chapter in Ecclesiastes tells us of the power of folly and of the importance of seeking and living in wisdom. And since fear of God is the gateway to wisdom, I want to start there. Uh, what does it mean to fear God? You know, you have to admit that he made the whole world and he still owns it. He owns you. This is a God who is completely without evil or mistake. Uh, he knows every thought you have. He knows every mistake you've ever made. He knows every good thing you've ever tried to do. He has put a choice before you for life and death to choose. And not only that, he owns your next breath. For those who reject him and seek their own way, he will destroy an eternal punishment um, everyone who ignores him. You know, we might feel a little better with an awesome, all-powerful God who knows our every error if he kind of kept his distance, but that's not his plan. The strong, sinless God who knows everything you ever do and he's got every good virtue, he wants you close. The fire and glory and awesome power of this God he has a presence. He wants to live in you so that you can work out your own salvation while you fear him and tremble. So to accomplish this, he was born as Jesus, a poor man, a poor human. He suffered abuse and injustice, and yet God was willing to put up with those things to save you. He was, God raised him to life, proving that he is infinitely powerful, 
that he has an indestructible life. And all this should amaze you. This is a huge story. This is amazing and powerful that the God of the universe would do this for us to go to these links. And that's why we just sang, the heavens are roaring the praise of your glory, for you are raised to life again. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom and yours is the glory. Yours, God, is the name above all names. So you need to see it. You need to tremble and stay safe in God. You need to be amazed in his beauty. And when all these things come together in your mind, that is some of the fear of the Lord. So fear of God is the gateway to wisdom. Having a proper awe for the Grand Canyon helps you to stay safe there. And wisdom begins with orienting your life to the fact that God is here, he is present, and he is not to be ignored. But this ignoring of God, just trying to pretend he doesn't exist, it's actually kind of a characteristic of fools. Proverbs 1.7 tells us, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You know, it's possible to be aware of God, to acknowledge that he exists, but not actually live as if it makes any real difference. Uh, Pastor John Piper says, people can think of God the way they think of hydrogen. You know, you learn about hydrogen in science, but most of us know that it exists. You would acknowledge that it exists, but does it change your day or your week? If you forgot that hydrogen existed, would it matter to you? Um, And people can think of God the same way. They can think, sure, I believe he exists, but, you know, that doesn't really change my life. He's just, he's kind of out there. Just believing that God exists is not the same as fearing him. But it is crucially important to truly fear God because this is the gateway to wisdom. So Kohelet, we've called him Grandpa Q, he's our teacher in Ecclesiastes, and he's already said at this point in the book that wisdom is the best way to live. Wisdom is living according to God's design for life. But wisdom does not put us in control. We've talked about that too. Chip McDaniel, uh, a North Waker here, he's actually preaching elsewhere today. Uh, He told me when we were talking about this passage that you can kind of overdo it with wisdom. You can imagine that wisdom gives you the power to guarantee certain outcomes, as if you could kind of engineer with wisdom and kind of create a certain result. But it doesn't work like that. Uh, Ecclesiastes warns us not to expect that wisdom is going to give you that power. Fearing God orients our lives correctly, which is why it's the beginning and the gateway to wisdom. In this chapter that we've just heard read, shows us how crucial it is to live in wisdom. So we're going to talk about wisdom and folly in three domains of life. First, folly in politics and authority situations, folly in our work, our daily walk, and what we do every day, and then folly in our words, things we say or write. So first we're going to look at folly in politics and authority. Um, And Kind of a summary here is, since a little folly ruins the strength of wisdom in politics, use wisdom in your political dealings. Starting with verse 1, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. You know, you want, imagine you got people coming over, you want your house to smell nice, so you pull out your diffuser, uh, and you go get your favorite essential oil, and bugs have gotten into it. Um, you know, would you put this out for guests? You know, a little jar with some bugs floating around in it. You know, the entire bottle is ruined when this happens, when, if, if bugs get in. Uh, did you know that a little bottle of rose oil takes 750 pounds of roses to produce? Uh, so imagine all of those roses being wasted because one fly got into the bottle and, and ruined it. That's the image. Folly is so powerful that it ruins so much good. All those 
roses that were, were produced just for that bottle of oil have been ruined by one fly. You know, we can see examples of how folly works this way in the life of King Herod. He lived during the time of Jesus. Um, he accomplished a lot of great construction. You people, uh, archaeologists look back at the era of Herod and they see just tons of things that he, uh, he had built, um, civil engineering works that still, some of which exist to this day. Um, but during the life of Jesus, you know, in one day, he saw a girl dancing. He liked, he liked what he saw. He promised her anything, foolishly. And then because of a grudge she had, she asked for John the Baptist to be murdered. Because of his position, because of his pride, because of the people who heard him make the promise, you know, he had to go through with it, he felt like. So he murdered John the Baptist. This was the person that Jesus called the greatest man who ever lived. And Herod killed him because of a rash statement. So that's a good example of folly in the place of power that can do so much damage. Kohelet points us to how folly seems to infect and damage everything when it shows up. You may have done so much good work, accomplished so much in a particular endeavor, um, and one bad decision can ruin it all. Think of an accountant who makes a thousand great decisions, perfectly following the tax code, perfectly following all the rules, and then makes one foolish choice. It could ruin their career, it could ruin a company. Think of an administrator, so careful with her words. She's very careful with what she says and how she does it, but then, you know, one, one blast of anger, she texts off a message and it comes back to ruin her career or hurt a lot of people. Think of a husband who compromises his sexual integrity in one decision and brings great pain and destruction in a marriage. Think of a programmer, you know, I do software development, who's normally very careful. You make, as a programmer, you make a thousand little decisions every day. You be so careful with these decisions, trying to take care of other people's data and one little bit of sloppiness and you've exposed people's personal information for hackers to get because you didn't go and get some help to go inspect your, your code. So, I mean, one little... A decision in a place of authority can create so much harm. Uh, it's it's uh, pronounced especially uh, in a place of authority. The folly of a mother or a fa- father or a leader in church or a school teacher can do so much damage to the family or the organization that they've carefully supported and built. Look at another situation down in verse 4. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. So you're dealing with an authority, and this person gets angry at you. They are upset. Kohelet says, don't storm out in anger. Don't go off in a huff. You know, so, many are, so many of us are tempted to do so. You know, but the fascinating thing here is your wisdom can calm the matter. He's actually giving you a warning against the folly of running off. He's saying, folly can cause danger, but through wisdom, you can actually help remediate it. There's a great example of, in the life of Nehemiah, actually, of dealing with an upset leader. Uh, his job was a cupbearer uh, for the king of Persia. So his job was to taste the king's wine and ensure that it wasn't poisoned. He was also, of course, extremely trusted because he would be the one person who has the ability to poison the king. It's very trusted. And so you can be sure the king is looking really close at Nehemiah. He, he wants to know, does Nehemiah look a little queasy? Has he drunk something that's going to get through to me? Or maybe does Nehemiah have a little bit of a guilty conscience? You know, so he's, he's watching his face. Uh, so Nehemiah, though, learns that Jerusalem, his homeland, is in ruins, and he is so broken by it that he basically goes into mourning. He, he cannot hide it on his face. And this face could mean big trouble for Nehemiah. It's what creates the problem, in effect. So in, verse, in Nehemiah 2.2, And the king said to me, Nehemiah is speaking here, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. 
So you can imagine the king is kind of wondering, like, Nehemiah, are you out to get me? Then I was very much afraid, Nehemiah says. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed? And then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So now we have Nehemiah standing face to face with the one man who can give him permission to rebuild Jerusalem. He can give him the resources, the military protection. Here's the moment, Nehemiah. What does Nehemiah do in this verse? So I prayed to the God of heaven. He admitted to himself that he didn't have the wisdom on his own. He needed help. So in speaking to one of the most powerful men on earth, Nehemiah pauses and goes to the source of wisdom and ultimate power, the God of heaven. That's what the fear of the Lord looks like, right? You respect that God is above all the authorities of earth. And on the basis of that prayer, Nehemiah simply asks the king for what he needs. It's such a great example for us. Recently, a valuable employee uh, called me... um, She's an engineer, and I could hear in her voice that she was really emotional. Uh, She was offering her two weeks' notice. She was thinking about leaving. Uh, She didn't feel like she was doing very well on the job. Uh, So what do I do right there on the phone? I can't hang up and say, hey, let me call you back later. Uh, Let me pray about it. Um, I need an hour of solitude. You you don't have that time in every situation. Um, And so I prayed silently right there while I was on the call with her. And I, uh, then after praying, I explained to her how well I thought she was doing, explained to her some of the other kind of situations. Somebody else had left the company. She needed to understand that's not you, uh, that those are, that's a different situation. And I asked her to stay. And I'm really happy to say that she's decided to stay. I'm glad to go to God for wisdom in those moments, right in the middle of a you know, profit-making business situation. I'm glad to go to God because God loves to grant wisdom. We're going to come back to this later. He loves to hear from you when you ask for wisdom. Next, look at Ecclesiastes 10, verses 5 and 7, 5 through 7. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves, which could also be translated as servants, on horses, and princes walking around on the ground like slaves. Here we have a situation of someone known to be foolish who is elevated to a place of power and authority while somebody competent is debased. This is uh, what commentators say is the picture that's being painted here. They also say that the word ruler could be translated just equally well as proprietor, like a business owner. And the word slave is equally well the word for a servant or employee. So this is not Ecclesiastes endorsing human enslavement here. We're really just looking at some some translation questions. But the key is that you have an upside-down situation where the prince who should be honored, the king of the land, basically, um, is not being honored, while a servant is given the best resources. Uh, A horse in that era was a military tool. It was like having a tank. It was an important um, weapon. And uh, so the situation's kind of topsy-turvy. You know, sadly, Solomon's own son, Rehoboam, uh, who was king after Solomon, did not follow this principle of ensuring that wisdom is uh, given access to the right resources and that the right people are heard. Um, Saul, uh, Rehoboam had uh, different advisors he could ask, and after he became king, he was thinking about raising taxes. So he asked his, uh, his father Solomon's advisors, who had a lot of experience, they knew what would happen, and he, he also asked his friends, who had very little experience, very little competence. He took the advice from the incompetent, and as a result, the entire kingdom of Israel was divided. The greatest kingdom of its time fell apart. 
This kind of principle of seeking wisdom when you're in authority applies anytime you're in some position of authority. Uh, if you're in a position to promote someone or set someone up as an example, seek God's way in wisdom in that situation. God loves to help and to guide you. Jump down to verse 16. Woe to you, O land, when your child is a king and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Here we have the image of an unprepared child put in charge of a nation. And the whole family, the, the royal family, is about parties and drunkenness. This young person is not prepared, and the land will suffer for their incompetence. Contrast that with the son of nobility, who is someone who is effectively well prepared for the work. They've, they've been taught uh, in how to do, rule the land. You know, isn't it amazing that this idea of partying at the wrong time in government is, is still an issue? Uh, here's a picture of some of the headlines uh, from uh, what happened to Boris Johnson over 2,000 years after the book of Ecclesiastes was written. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson became embroiled in a scandal they called Partygate. Um, he had parties at the wrong time. He basically broke the law by having large gatherings, even though he made laws against it. Uh, this passage in Ecclesiastes brings to mind the way that every nation needs wise and well-prepared leaders. You know, we're just a couple of days from Independence Day on July 4th. You know, we must be thankful for the country God has put us in. God's Word teaches us to pray for those serving as leaders, whether or not you agree with them. First Timothy 2, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We thank God for people who are willing to serve in positions of authority. We pray for them to lead wisely, to do their jobs properly, to make decisions leading to a peaceful society where all can hear the gospel and trust in God. I think of friends and uh, our friends here in town, some of you are training to share the gospel in other countries. When those countries are safe and secure with freedom and justice, those are countries where people have the opportunities to hear of Christ. Here's a photo from a recent place where there's been war. In countries of turmoil, instability leads to conflict and civil war. And those are places we're gathering together to, like this, like we're doing now, to hear God's word becomes impossible. Next, we're going to move to folly in daily life, including our work life. Um, and you could summarize the, these section of Proverbs in this chapter as saying, since a little folly can overturn the political order in daily life and daily life, use wisdom in your daily walk. You know, folly isn't always an intentional decision to reject God's way. It can simply come by um, carelessness, which can become second nature to a fool who is ignoring God. We see in these next verses someone who just exudes foolishness, uh, starting in verse 2. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. Down in verse 15, the toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know which way to the city. You know, if you consistently reject God, it can become your pattern for thinking. If you orient yourself away from the truth, the creator of the universe, then folly becomes your nature. Proverbs says that folly can become visible to everyone. Um, but as, a, as people who want to seek wisdom, as I'm sure you are, you can actually somewhat turn this to your advantage. 
You know, basically it's saying folly is visible. Your plans, your ideas, your words, they carry your lapses in judgment to others. So let me challenge you. Find friends and be in a grow group um, here at North Wake where there are people who will listen to your concerns, your plans, your thoughts, your ideas for work, for career, for school, for parenting. And then these people are brave enough to gently and lovingly let you know when they see error or foolishness. You need people in your life who don't just sit quietly while you tell your plans. You need people who are willing to lovingly correct you and admonish you, especially when the people of God disagree with you. Take it seriously. Um, Take their advice to God in prayer and ask Him to guide you ultimately. You know, next we see examples of the dangers of everyday work, which require wisdom to avoid. Um, Starting at verse 8, He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. And uh, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. And then down in verse 18, through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. These are ironic pictures of the dangers of work and the necessity of safety. The text, referring to digging, the text refers to digging holes and falling into them. Uh, this was actually a widely used hunting method. Uh, and in fact, it's still done today. In some places, it's been recently uh, made outlaw. Here's a, here's a diagram of elk harvesting in Norway. They build a fence and they guide basically wild elk through a hole. And they dig a hole where the elk is going to fall into. And then they build a camouflage cover. So this isn't you know, just a silly hole that you might dig as a child. You know, I dug a lot of holes as a kid and, and occasionally fell into them. Uh, this, is a, this is actually just part of your regular daily work in these areas, but these were pretty dangerous. These are holes that are meant to entrap a large animal. Um, the things we do for our work, you know, in these examples, uh, digging holes, working in a place that has snakes, cutting stone or wood, we have to exercise care. We take steps to ensure the safety for others, too. And just a little folly, a little sloppiness, being hurried, taking shortcuts can lead to real harm for others. Several points in God's law given to Moses uh, point to the need to provide safety for others, what, from food safety to building code type of situations, rooftops, dangerous animals, how to deal with them. And for us, living in the fear of God will help us to work wisely. You know, a person seeking wisdom, doesn't, uh, well, they try to understand how to make um, the people of the world safer. You know, he doesn't try to figure out how to skirt the building code or some safety regulations. If she's a teacher, she's always looking for ways to ensure that kids are kept safe. We have some excellent policies here in, for child protection here in Northwake. People are working really hard to keep kids safe in the children's ministry here, uh, just as an example. As you seek safety on the, you can seek safety on the basis of love of neighbor, which Jesus called the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself, he says. You know, isn't it wonderful that our God commands us to love our neighbor and to work for their safety? Look at Ecclesiastes 10.19 now. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Pastor Alistair Begg says that, um, that of all the gifts that God has given us that are described in this chapter, money is the most flexible. So Kohelet might be asking you, is now the right time to use your money for a party or a vacation? Or is now the right time to save money for unexpected needs? You know, it's really fascinating how often Jesus spoke about money in his teaching here on earth, more than almost any other subject. Wisdom and folly can be seen in a person's decisions about spending, can't they? You know, when you fear God, 
and recognize that he creates everything, every atom in the universe, you conclude he owns them still. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the psalmist says. Your wisdom and spending decisions doesn't start and stop with the money you decide to give in worship. All the wealth you have is on loan from, to you from God. And how you use it indicates uh, much about how you value your maker. So plead with God for wisdom and how to use his money well. Next, we're going to look at folly in words. Since a little folly can get you into deep trouble, use wisdom in your daily talk. Uh, looking at Ecclesiastes 10, 12. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The things we say really matter. And here we see that a wise person who seeks to follow God's instructions in life says things that make him more favorable to those who are hear him. By contrast, the words of a fool do himself harm, as if he's consuming himself. You know, the New Testament wisdom book of James warns us that nothing is more dangerous and powerful than the tongue. Um, We'll go on in Ecclesiastes uh, 10, verse 13. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? You know, your words, written, posted, spoken, they can be an encouragement to others, or they can be damaging and destructive. John, Jesus said in John 17, that the world will know that Jesus has been sent by the Father by the way they see Christians love for each other. Francis Schaeffer wrote of the danger of words as we engage in debates over theological or biblical issues. He says, What divides and severs true, true Christian groups and Christians? What leaves a bitterness that can last for 20, 30, 40 years, 50 or 60 years in a son's or daughter's memory is not the issue of doctrine or belief which caused the differences in the first place, Invariably, it is the lack of love and the bitter things that are said by true Christians in the midst of differences. These things stick in the mind like glue. And after time passes and the differences between Christians or the groups appear less than they did, there are still those bitter, bitter things we said in the midst of what we thought was a good and sufficient objective discussion. It is these things, these unloving attitudes and words, that cause the stench that the world can smell in the church of Jesus Christ among those who really are true Christians. Friends, let's pray to God for what to say, for wisdom, for the words that we write, the words we post, the words you say out loud, especially when you are relating to other Christians about difficult issues. The last verse in this chapter reminds us uh, the words are powerful. In verse 20, even your thoughts, even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature will tell the matter. Kohelet draws a funny picture, like a bird is hearing and spreading what you say. It's become kind of a common proverb, you know, a little bird will hear you. Uh, it, that's how it can feel. It, it, when you say one thing, it seems to take on a life of its own, and it goes from there, getting repeated. Um, so be cautious and thoughtful in your words. Uh, you don't want it to, if you don't want it to spread, don't say it. You know, a little folly in your words can go a long way. So in conclusion, you know, I want to point out that it's so wonderful that our God grants us knowledge and wisdom. Kohelet has warned us that the harm that can be caused through folly, praise God that he does not leave us alone trying to figure things out on our own. You know, are you seeking his help in his word? For your work, for your dealings, for the things you say? 
You know, his word for us is the primary guide to life. It has more to say about your difficult situation than you probably expect. It is so easy to get familiar with the Bible that we think sometimes we need something else in addition. You know, when Jesus visited his hometown, his neighbors didn't want to listen to him. They were kind of used to him. They were accustomed to him. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Don't we know his mom? You know, don't we know his brothers and sisters? You know, this is especially dangerous for those of us who spend a lot of time reading a good bit of Christian material, texts. Uh, it's possible to get, kind of get so familiar with Jesus and so familiar with his word that we think of him as just a one, another voice among many. But remember, we often say this at Christmas time, Jesus is called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. He's the one greater than Solomon, it says in the, in the book of Luke, full of wisdom, wisdom even better than Solomon's wisdom. And through his spirit, through his word and through his indwelling spirit, Jesus promises to guide us. Will you listen to him for counsel? We can rely on our wonderful counselor to help us. You know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, one of my sons and I got to go to Washington, D.C. We met a taxi driver who had, uh, he had formerly worked for Americans in his home country, and there was a, uh, a coup in his home country. He escaped to the United States. So he was here trying to establish himself. And as we were chatting, I really wanted to, I wanted to have a chance to share the gospel. In some way, I wanted to see if I could help him understand Jesus. And I really could not think of the words to say. I couldn't think of the right opening, so I prayed. You know, I really need your help, God. Uh, I need words to say. And I feel like God gave me the, the, an opening, and I was able to realize, like, well, he spent a lot of time around Christians. He knows, or sorry, around Americans. He knows that Christianity is basically the dominant religion of uh, America. If you look it up on Wikipedia, it's the dominant religion by statistics. So there's kind of a, a general fact, but he may have never really heard the story. So I just asked him, so I know you've been around a lot of Americans. Um, a lot of them are Christians. Have you ever actually heard the whole story about Jesus? And that opened the conversation where we got to talk. And I, and I got to explain to him that he had suffered a lot, and Jesus was the God who has suffered. He knows what my driver was going through. Um, do you remember when I said we pray for our leaders, asking God to use them to bring about a peaceful land where all can hear God and trust in him? I'm so thankful that my driver escaped a land of turmoil and came to a land where he was able to hear the gospel. That's the reason we pray for his land, too, for all the lands of the earth. When you live in fear for God, seeing his beauty, trembling at his greatness, you will want to orient your life, your daily life, to his plan. You will know, he, uh, you will know that you need his help. James 1 says in verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. James is saying that God is ready and able to give you the wisdom he needs. Our Heavenly Father loves to get it to help generously. He doesn't hold back. Uh, he gives it freely without any hesitation. Um, he doesn't chide us. He doesn't get on to us when we need it. He doesn't grumble. He never scolds or scowls at you when you ask. He knows your frame. He knows your dust. He knows you need help. So as you close, as we close, I'd like you to think for a moment about some of the difficult things going on in your life, the tough things going on in your world. Remember, in those things, Jesus came to save you from the punishment of your sin and also to be your counselor. He promises to help you to be wise in whatever is before you. So let's stand together. 
committing ourselves to receive this gift of guidance, of compassionate care. Let's pray together. The words will be on the screen. Oh Lord, I give my life to you. I trust in you, my God. Please help me trust you with all my heart. Call me back when I depend on my own understanding. Help me to acknowledge you in all my ways. Please show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. All day long I put my hope in you.